You know the feeling when you get into a totally dark room. Or you're like in an area, could be a meeting room, conference room, could be a big place, and the lights go out. Just a small reaction I got here. If you've ever been in that situation, there's a lot of, ooh, ah, it's like nervous laughter, and it's pitch black dark. So I've got to ask you a question. Are you afraid of the dark? Yes. <laughs> uh, I've had to go into some rooms that were totally dark in my younger life that I knew something bad was in there. And that's why I had to go in. It was what I did. And so I'll tell you, you've felt the hair on the back of your neck stand up, sound familiar? Your heart rate gets to beating a little bit. And it's amazing the things that you can actually hear when you walk into a dark, black, quiet room. Your imagination can go everywhere. Yeah. I'm going to tell you a story today about dark and light. And I'm just going to give you a piece of a bigger story. It's in the book of Exodus. And I'm going to be coming back to Exodus uh, the first part of the year. I'll be doing a uh, series on knowing and doing the will of God. And so we're going to come back to some stuff in Exodus. It's really, really rich. And there's a lot of symbolism in this today. I want you to just think about it as you go through. It's certainly good and evil. It's without a doubt God and Satan. It's also about Jesus and the world and, of course, light and dark. So the setting is in Egypt. Now, I don't pretend that everybody that's listening to this and that's here today knows this story. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob, he had 12 sons. One of the youngest sons is a young man named Joseph. He's the son in the Bible, if you've ever heard the story of the coat of many colors, His father really liked him, and he gave him this coat. But this young man was a dreamer. And as he was dreaming, he dreamed, and he shared this with his brothers, that there were 11, now he had 11 brothers, there were 11 sheaves of grain that knelt down to his sheave. They didn't like that. And he had another dream where... Eleven stars and the sun and the moon, his brothers and his mother and father, bowed down to him. They didn't like that. Although the father said he took note of it. 
And so he went out to see his brothers in the field one day. They staged this crime scene, took his coat, dipped it in animal blood, threw him in a hole, and while they ate lunch, they sold him to Midianites that took him to Egypt. And so he's gone. And the story is that he was killed. And that's what he told the father. He went to Egypt. And what happened in Egypt is what happens to us if we're with God. He went to the top of the totem pole, number two in Egypt, because of his favor that God had given him, even as he was a slave. And he prospered. And there ended up being a famine in Canaan, in Israel, in the promised land. And what eventually happened to speed this story up is that the whole family and the whole nation came to Egypt where Joseph was. And they were there for 400 years. The whole nation was there. And what happened is they passed away. And here's what the scripture says in Exodus 1, verses 6 through 10. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful and they multiplied greatly. They increased in numbers and became so numerous that the land was filled with them in captivity. Then a new king, who Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites are becoming far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they'll become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. So Pharaoh made their work hard while they were there. And God's people were numerous and growing. And there was an edict to kill all the male babies there so they could stunt the population. And this young Canaanite woman, this Hebrew woman, this Israelite, gave birth to a man named Moses. They stuck him in a, a basket. He floated down the Nile River and Pharaoh's daughter found him and raised him. He was part of the royal family, this guy Moses. And as he was there, he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, and he killed him. And it was found out. So he fled to Midian for 40 years. And he came back because he was in the field tending sheep when this burning bush was burning, but it wasn't being consumed. And God spoke out of this bush. You see, God can speak to us in many different ways. And if we start just putting God in a box and expect some preacher to say what God wants to say, you're missing. God speaks to us through our circumstances. He speaks to us certainly in church, through song, through scripture, through other people, through prayer. God can speak through a donkey. And if we say that can't be God, you're liable to miss it. 
So God said, go rescue my people. Go get them. So Moses went back. He began to speak to Pharaoh. And here's what I want to focus in. He was having this conversation with Pharaoh about the people of Israel that have been in captivity all these 400 years. He's, he's right there. And he's going to bring them out. That's what God said. Bring them out. Bring them out. And in Exodus 5, just two verses here, afterwards Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh. They said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Let my people go so that may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, who's the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. He's fixing to know the Lord. I want you to know when you face opposition, that opposition is going to know about the Lord. You see, God has got a place for us. And these folks were in captivity 400 years. They're just about to leave. But see, Pharaoh doesn't know it yet. This story, Afraid of the Dark, is embedded into the story of the plagues. The ten plagues. There's so much richness here as far as teaching and application to our lives over everything I've just gone over. And what I want to do is I want to just get it down to, if you don't know, there were plagues that happened in Egypt from God to make Pharaoh let his people go. And I'm just going to focus on one of them. And it's an obscure one. But it's significant. The people of Israel were getting ready to go. And and the people of Israel, while they were in Egypt, they had to endure some of the plagues. Verse 3. But not after that. Here's what the scriptures say in Exodus 8, 22 and 23. But on that day, I'll deal differently with the land of Goshen. I want to put a tag right there. Goshen is an area that's in Egypt. And it's an area where when the people were brought into slavery, the Pharaoh at the time said, we're going to put them in Goshen. And Goshen is kind of in northern Egypt, near the Nile Delta. It's a very nice place. And God's people were living there, working for Pharaoh, enslaved. In that day, I'm going to deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there, so that you'll know I'm the Lord and I'm in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This sign will occur tomorrow. You're different. When you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you're God's people. You're different. God has set you apart to do great and mighty things. You may not part the Red Sea. You may not call down fire from heaven. But your witness will 
lead people to Jesus Christ. This sign will occur tomorrow. Now, these ten plagues, there was water, was turned to blood in the Nile, even all the pots and pans full of water and the cisterns, they turned to blood. Next came the plague of the frogs. And frogs were everywhere, even in Goshen. And they were piled up, and they died, and they were smelly, and Pharaoh still wouldn't let them go. And then there were lice, or gnats. All you got to do is go to Ponce Island. You can figure out. You can figure out just how quick they can get on you. And they were everywhere. You get where I'm coming from. And then there were flies, but not in Goshen. The flies covered the place. In the people's houses, in their water, in their food, in everything. And then there was the livestock dying. And all the livestock died, except in Goshen. And then boils came over all the people of the Egyptians. So bad they couldn't move, but not in Goshen. And then hail, hail came down, and we've seen it right here. And it says in the scriptures, it's the worst hail that ever came in Egypt, ever. Beat everything to death. And then after that, the locusts came and ate all that was left. And then there was darkness. This is number nine. And just after that darkness was the death of the firstborn, where everything that was the firstborn in Egypt died. But we're going to darkness. I want to just linger on darkness for a minute. Exodus 10, 21 and 23. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness spreads over Egypt. Darkness that can be felt. See, this has been hidden in scriptures. I've read this so many times. And then I got to thinking, what kind of darkness can be felt? I'll tell you. Having lost a child, it's a darkness that can be felt. Unless it's happened, you don't know. When something so impactful happens in your life, it's a darkness that you can feel. It's real. It's tangible. See, it's not just a physical darkness. It's a spiritual darkness. When you run out of all the money you've got, you hit the end of the road, and everybody is owed everything. It's a darkness you can feel. It's a darkness you can feel. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone or move about for three days, yet all the Israelites 
had light in the places where they lived. In Goshen. They were groping about. It's a darkness that could be felt. When you look at the words in the Hebrew, it says to grope about. And this darkness covered Egypt for three days. But it wasn't just three days. It was three days, day and night, and day and night, and day and night. I mean, we know what it's like. The last storm that came through, I bet many of you didn't have any power. And unless you have a light or a flashlight, you know, you run to the window and make sure it's everybody's in the neighborhood's lights out, not just yours, right? Yeah, everybody does that. And you really hope everybody else's light is off and it's not just yours. Because if it's just yours, they're not going to come fix it. (laughs) So it makes you feel better. If it's dark everywhere, right? Darkness covered Egypt for three days. They couldn't even see. They groped around. Three days and three nights. Now, Pharaoh represented the sun god, Ray. I want you to know that Pharaoh felt this darkness because his power over darkness the sun god ray was muted it was stopped Isaiah 45 7 says this I form the light and create darkness I bring prosperity and create disaster I the Lord will do all these things So no one could see anyone. And nobody could move around for three days. They were in isolation. Have you ever felt isolated? Have you ever felt like I'm the only one that feels like this? Three days, three nights. Isolation. No candles, no light, no starry sky or moon, no sunlight. I can imagine the people crying out for the sun god ray. Where are you? Where are you? It speaks to three days in the grave. Sensory deprivation. Yet, all the Israelites had light in their places and where they lived. You see, there's a separation from darkness for God's people, for us. There's a separation for those that believe in Jesus Christ. Dark to light. We don't have to endure the darkness, but for the morning. Genesis 1, 3, 5, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. 
And God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God has separated the light from the darkness. And he called the light day and the darkness night. And then there was evening and there was morning the first day. John 8, 12 says this. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Yet all the Israelites had light where they lived. Matthew 25 says this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he'll sit on his glorious throne. And the nations will be gathered before him and he'll separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. Dark and night. Good and evil. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. You see, the bottom line is when everything else is dark, God's a light around you. He's always there. He's always looking for you. You can turn off the light if you want, but God is there. And this darkness, it could be felt, it foreshadowed what was about to come next. Because the very next plague was the death of the firstborn, of all cattle, of all slaves, of all people that lived in Egypt. And anyone that did not follow God's instructions about the Passover, having the lamb and putting the blood on the lintel and the doorposts. In the deepest, darkest of times of your life, God has light for his people. And why does that matter to you? It's just a matter of time before things go dark somewhere in our lives. So dark we can feel it. It'll sneak up on you and you'll have no idea when it's going to happen. And it's surprising. But God will be there. As Pastor Frank talked about this morning, it's not getting better. Things aren't getting better. It's not like we're making a turn and everything's getting better. It's not. You, the Lord, are my lamp, Second Samuel says. The Lord turns my darkness into light. Each week you get a to-do. And having Scripture live within you is so important. Yeah. Because when you need it, you may not have time to get to your phone and pull up your Bible app. You may not have internet. Lord, what are we going to do? Wi-Fi's down. It's the end of the world. It's dark. It's dark. <laughs> 1 John 1, 5, it's a scripture that is so easy to get a hold of. The first three words in it is God is light. And it says further, in him there is no darkness at all. So God is light. If you can memorize those three words that are scripture in 1 John, you don't need to remember it's 1 John. You don't need to remember anything else. Remember this. God is light. 
And He's the light of the world for us. This next Sunday, we're going to have a candlelighting ceremony that talks about that, that speaks to that. So let me ask you a question before we close. Are you afraid of the dark? Don't be. Don't be. Jesus Christ came to dispel darkness in our lives. And if you're here today and you haven't tasted the victory to have given your life to Jesus Christ and have permanently overcome darkness, then today's your day. Now's the time. There's not a better time. And if you're here and you're a rock-solid Christian, Bible-believing, Bible-thumping, but there's darkness in your life that you've maybe held on to or you've had doubts with, come up. We've, we've got people to pray with you and for you because God is light. So if that's you today, in either case, we're going to end with a prayer. And after that, come up and we'll pray with you. But remember your assignment this week. God is light. If you'll just say that over and over in your mind, as you're driving somewhere, as you're walking somewhere, as you're laying down and getting up, God is light. Dear Father, we thank you today. We thank you that your light shines, that your light overcomes darkness. And Father, this example of the darkness that you can feel. It was so dark, Father, but we thank you that Jesus Christ is light and that in Goshen, where we are with you, that your light shines. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Merry Christmas.